The views expressed in this presentation are expressly those of the presenter and do not reflect the official policy or position of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or United States government. Welcome to the Keys to Military Success. This is the show that you've been waiting for. The show that exposes the emotional, physical, intellectual, spiritual, and social dimensions of a successful military career by none other than the experts on the battlefield, Team Red Alert, led by Christian Sledge. Trust me, folks, I've had the privilege of consulting with them, and let me tell you, the results speak volumes. I'm talking about beast mode activated. And the team's not here just to talk the talk. They're here to walk you through it all. We're going to be talking about strategic consultations, operational insights, and decision-making gems. The team will be consulting with strategic and operational leaders and decision-makers extracting tactics, techniques, and procedures unlocking your true potential. That's how they roll, and that's just how they get down. So without further ado, let's turn up the volume and get ready to rumble. It's time to hear from my mentor and the team, the keys to military success, Christian Sledge, and the Red Alert. Class is in session. Let's go. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Keys of Military Success. I am your host, Captain Christian the Hype Man Sledge. And this is also co-hosted by the core cadets, normally known as the Red Alert team. I have Cadet General. That is right. Cadet General with me. All right. Our home is Air Force ROTC Detachment for University of Nevada, Las Vegas, the Rebel Nation. Our show is for everybody who seeks guidance, mentorship and leadership advice from none other than the leaders themselves. We provide the information for those before, during, and after their careers in the armed forces. The time has come for you to stop watching everybody else ascend to military prowess and start living your own success stories. Today, we have a very special guest for the entire enterprise, none other than the one and only Command Chief of the Gene Holmes Center for Officer Accessions and Citizen Development out there at Maxwell Air Force Base. That is, of course, Chief Master Sergeant Jennifer M. McKean. She will be mentoring us about her role as as an advisor and some of the challenges that come with it. Quick snapshot of her life enlisted in the year 2000 out of New Mexico and since then has been out there. She has completed 20 assignments up to this point in time. She has given advice to numerous officers and leaders out there throughout her career. And in case you haven't noticed, she's still employed. So not only is she still advising, but she's a senior advisor of the entire home center, including the home center commander, Brigadier General Cantwell. For those who say, oh, you know, show me the numbers, you know, show me the metrics. OK, well, we, we got those yeah, at this time. We're talking thirty three hundred airmen, one hundred and twenty thousand cadets across two thousand plus locations worldwide. We're talking about officer training school. We're talking about Air Force ROTC. We're talking about J-ROTC all together. She is responsible for eighty five percent of the USAF's officer corps. She has numerous educational degrees. She's a supply and aerospace medical services technician by trade. Hey, without further ado, I would like to introduce and please welcome Chief Master Sergeant Jennifer McKean to the show. Hey, Chief, yeah. how are you doing, ma'am? Hey, sir. Thanks so much. Uh, really excited to be here today and hoping some of the words that I can say will be meaningful to some folks out there and to shed some light. A lot of people might think there's a decoder ring to leadership, but I promise there's not. The things that I talk about or that we talk about today, they'll be very easy to understand and things that I hope that the listeners will sit back and say, I can do that. Yeah, I totally got that. So 
I'm excited yeah. for today. Yeah. And that's the point of this show. We're going to provide one key, right? You have one key that might be able to help them out. General provided a key earlier. So we're going to be able to provide that. And hopefully they'll be able to figure that out and become successes themselves. That's what we're trying to do here. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. We want to know a little bit more about you as a whole. Now, we saw I saw your your bio. It's a rap sheet of a bunch of good things that you have done throughout your career since 2000. It's a lot of information to digest, but I want the, the audience and the, the customers to get a snapshot of what you feel like is important in your life. So please, ma'am, if you're able to summarize your bio with the things that you feel like is important that you would want us to know about you. All right. Well, so what I would say, first and foremost, outside of my bio, the, the things that are the most important to me are, number one, I'm a wife. My husband, Aaron, retired from the Air Force in 2021. He was a weapons loader. He did 26 years in the Air Force, and now he's moved on to his civilian career and he's doing really fantastic. And um, I'm also a mom. So Aaron and I, we've been married for almost seven years. So we're a blended family together. We have four children, but none together. So he has a 27 year old son, CJ. And then we have a 24 year old daughter named Caitlin. My son, Andrew is 17. And then our youngest, Sophia is 12. And interestingly enough, all of Aaron's children actually live in Las Vegas. So <laughs> They're like right there, like next to you all uh, there. But well, Chief, yeah, whenever you whenever you want to come through there, hey, by all means, just let us yeah. know. We'll catch you. We got Absolutely. you, Chief. That's More awesome. I can stop, stop by. by the detachment and hang out with the kids. So we are literally right there by the airport. We're right here. Literally oh, three literally minutes. Even better. So yeah. To me, you know, being a being a wife and a mom is very important. You know, one thing that I would I would just reiterate to people is no matter how long your Air Force career is, whether it's four years or six years or 27 years or 40 years, however long it's going to be, at the end of the day, you want your family to be there with you. And so to me, everything that I do is for my family. And so I'm I'm extremely proud of them. And, you know, everything else that's in my, my bio, I would say the word that I think of when I when I look at a lot of people's bios across the Air Force is opportunity. And a lot of times the Air Force puts us into positions or opportunities that we may not have wanted, <laughs> but we take on those opportunities and those challenges and we do the absolute best that we can. And I would say that there's a few jobs on my bio or a few assignments that I had. And I was like, I don't know if I'm the right person to do this. But in the end, it worked out. And I learned something from those opportunities and had a chance to grow. And a lot of times those assignments open up other doors for you. So that's really what I would say about the things that are on my on my bio. I think by the time you have been in for almost 24 years like me, you've been to a lot of places and you've had a chance to do a lot of things. So don't be afraid when the opportunities come knocking to, to open the door and embrace them. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that you know, the, the big thing that you, you want everybody to capture is, you know, family. And that is very, very important. I mean, especially with Connect General and I, we were just talking about it. She was like, hey, man, sometimes the military can be unstable in the importance of having a stable family. The family is your stability. That is super important. That's what she'll tell you right now. She's like, that's what I need in my life. I need I can handle the instability of the military operations. But when I come home, I got to have that stability. I, I got it. So I think it's very cool that you were able to kind of point and highlight that 
uh, amongst the, all the things that you have going on. That's uh, it's very true. I mean, especially because like, if you think about, you know, the, the different things that you find yourself ending up doing, whether it's deployments or PCSs to remote assignments, or sometimes you'll have a lot of people who end up deciding to geo bachelor it, you know, because they are family is set up in a specific, you know, maybe a spouse has a job and kids are in really great schools and, and things like that. And so, you know, sometimes um, military service is absolutely a hardship on families. And so you have to be able to communicate often and well with one another to be able to, you know, explain to each other, like what's going on and to also have clear goals for what your family is, because, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, when you're when you're having your your separation party or your retirement ceremony, you want your family sitting right there in the front row celebrating your service and really their service too, you know, because they support you through all of the things that you're doing in the military. And I would I would certainly say that none of us does it alone for sure. It's very important for me to understand and for everybody else around me to understand that my family serves too. Right. I yeah. really, I, that's exactly what I tell them. I was like, no, they serve too. As a matter of fact, my spouse, I'm captain and they call my wife the major, right? Cause they, <laughs> because they know, well, one, she serves two and two, she outranks me. So uh, she's a, she's a total civilian, right? <laughs> so uh, who happens, who happens to work in the ROTC enterprise as well. But it's like, yeah, we know that, you know, the captain doesn't make the decision around here. That's the major. So yeah, go ask her. So uh, Lisa, if it has anything to do with my life, yeah, go ask her. But the point is she She's, you know, the family serves along with us and, and they definitely deserve their roses for their service as well. That's pretty Absolutely. cool. So you already kind of answered the next question. Was one of some of your personal experiences or influence that shaped you into the person you are today? Big one is family to you. Is there anything else experiences or influences that kind of motivate you and rekindle you on a daily basis to, to do what you do every day? Yeah, absolutely. So I would like to just say my very first supervisor that I ever had in the Air Force, her name was Staff Sergeant Heather Green. And my first base was to Mountain Home Air Force Base in Idaho. I knew that my life's ambition was to be a medical technician, and that didn't turn out in my very first assignment. I ended up being supply. And my tech school was really short. And I was also one of those people that like enlisted for only four years. So when I arrived to my first base, I was a unicorn. I was like an airman basic. <laughs> and people are saluting me because they don't, they think I'm a lieutenant and I'm confused and I have no idea what's going on. So I'm saluting <laughs> back, right? You know, hey, MT, so, what's going on? <laughs> so here is you know, Staff Sergeant Heather Green. And, you know, she sits me down, you know, within the first couple of weeks and we have our first formal feedback session. And Sergeant Green was like, Hey, talk to me about your goals, like your long-term and your short-term goals. What, what, what is it that you want to do? And like, without, Missing a beat, I said to her, all right, well, my short term goal is that I want to be a senior airman below the zone. And also I want to be a chief. And I'm sure she probably thought, wow, um, OK, <laughs> this girl here she is, Aaron Basic. And like she's talking about already about how she wants to be a chief. And so she said, you know what? She didn't try to crush my dreams or anything like that. She's like, that's awesome. You know what? Let's maybe establish some shorter, short-term goals that are going to help you establish your long-term goals. And beyond that, I'm going to hold you accountable to what those goals are. So she was like a phenomenal supervisor. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the book, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned About in Kindergarten. For me, the version of that book is Everything I Needed to Know About the Air Force I Learned from Staff Sergeant Heather Green. 
And she was a fabulous mentor to me. She was a, a really great supervisor. You know, she talked to me about the importance of not doing things just to look good or to win awards or you know, things like that. It was about doing the right thing because it was the right thing to do and just doing your absolute best and thinking up ways to make things around you better. And, you know, she was just so phenomenal. And I don't know that I ever had another supervisor that I thought of in the same way as her. And it's really interesting because I stayed in touch with her, you know, across all of the years and sitting in the front row of my promotion ceremony to chief was Master Sergeant Retired Heather Green. And to this day, she's, you know, she's still a huge mentor of mine. And, you know, I, I can think of many instances over the course of my career where I had people who took a vested interest in me and they cared about my development and they cared about me succeeding. And I was just so fortunate to have that. You know, I, I think. Over the course of a career, you have, you know, some memorable supervisors for great reasons, memorable supervisors for not so great reasons. And then you have someone that you're like, oh, yeah, I think I remember that guy. He was my supervisor for maybe three or four months, but like, I don't think he ever even talked to me. And so, you know, it, it's just it's been really awesome to me that that over all of these years that I had so many people that were like a family to me and reached out and wanted to help me be successful. and. And now that's what I get to do, pass that on and to do that for the airmen and the cadets that I come into contact with. And, and so I feel extremely fortunate to have that opportunity now. Wow, that's really cool, especially the fact that you got that as your first super. Mm -hmm. That's like super rare. A lot of people argue that that's not, you know, it's different that you got your tools for success in that first round. Usually people, it takes a couple, right? It takes a couple of supervisors, takes a few years. Some never arrive, right? It's it's unfortunate how some, some of these paths go, but that is really cool that you were to reflect back all the way and your advisor, the advisor's advisor was all, was it was there when you actually took your crown, so to speak, as, as chief and she was there. Well, she did it, right? Yeah. I think that's really, really cool a really cool story and a very, very good influence on why you do what you do. That's really, really cool. One of the most important things of that story to me is, is that, you know, we often think about who are the people that influence you, right? Who are the, mm -hmm. who are the folks that have the most impact on our career? And so, you know, when I think back over the, the time of my career, you know, I honestly could not tell you who my first wing commander was. I couldn't tell you who my first command chief was. I don't even know if I remember who my first first sergeant was. But the the impact that a staff sergeant had on me is something that I'll never forget. And so I tell our NCOs that all of the time of just how much influence they wield and how I never again will have that same ability to influence airmen the way that they do because of the amount of time that they get to spend with their airmen. You know, for General Cantwell and I, you know, it's awesome when we get to come out and to visit detachments and go to junior ROTC units and things like that. But Unfortunately, over the course of our time in those seats, we may get to talk to those cadets and those cadre members once, maybe twice in our two years. 
in a face-to-face setting. And some, maybe none at all, because, you know, we're so large. There's 145 detachments, 835 high schools. There's just no way that we'll be able to get to every single one of them. But you know, the influence that those that our frontline supervisors, you know, in, in you know, our NCO and our CGO grades, the, the impact and the influence that they have is, is, is just phenomenal. And I don't think that they always recognize or appreciate. Yeah, that's really amazing. I think a lot of people dream of like having a mentor that early on. I know I definitely have been trying to find one. And when I'm hopefully commissioned, finding that mentor. So I got a question for you and it is, why did you enlist? I know you probably touched on it just a little bit before, but really like, why did you enlist? What was the, <laughs> the, the driving factors that pointed you to the armed forces and more specifically like the Air Force? Well, it's, it's interesting that you should say that. You know, I, w- I would love to say that, you know, I, I had this overwhelming need to serve, you know, to an extent I did. So both of my grandfathers both served in the military. One grandfather served in the Navy and one in the Army. One served for 21 years, the other for 25. They both served during the Vietnam conflict. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up hearing these stories about their times in the service and hearing about the camaraderie and, you know, all of all of these wonderful stories. And, you know, it was just really awesome to hear them talk about the military. But, you know, I, I remember the week I graduated from high school, I received a postcard in the mail from the Air Force recruiter and I threw it in the trash. I was like, yeah, no. it's in mm-hmm. for me. Like, no. <laughs> but it oh, just yeah. so happened I had a friend who who was like a year ahead of me in school and he had joined the Air Force. And he incidentally ended up being stationed really close to our hometown. He was only like three hours away. He was like, hey, you should come on up to Kirtland and take a look at the base. Like, it's really nice. And he had just finished tech school. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like, let me come check it out. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, the base was really nice. He worked from like, you know, seven o'clock to like four o'clock. He worked in maintenance and he drove a nice car. He was getting money to go to school. And I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe I could do this. Like, maybe I could join and I'll do this for like four years. Because as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I, my life's ambition was I, you know, I wanted to be a nurse. And so I said, okay. And oh, by the way, let me just add in. I also had to convince my mother that this would be okay. Like, because I was 17 years old. Oh yeah. She's going to have to sign for me to join. That's crazy. You know, and so I was like, okay. You know, I'm just I'm just going to do this for four years. I'm going to get my money for the GI Bill and then I'm going to bounce and I'm going to be out and I'm just going to go and get, you know, my degree in nursing. And that's going to be it. Well, clearly that is not in fact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) My follow up question was going to be what made you stay at this point? Well, okay. so the first thing that happened, to be quite honest with you, is so I'm in basic training. And back (laughs) then, I know you guys are going to be like, wow, chief, like. Wow. My MTI was a senior airman. Like, yeah, no back kidding. when they had senior airman TIs. Yeah, wow. we don't anymore. There are no more senior airmen. Well, I had a senior airman too. I was 2004. So oh, okay. not far. Yeah. So, so there we are, you know, and I'll never forget his name was senior airman Brian. And he is talking to us about the basic, you know, military training manual. We're learning about Air Force enlisted ranks and officer ranks, Air Force history, customs and courtesies, dress and appearance, you know, all of these really fantastic, you know, topics. 
that you should know as an airman. And he starts talking to us about the enlisted, the enlisted force structure and the enlisted ranks. And he says, you know, hey, only one person of the enlisted force will get to be chiefs. And we were, of course, a flight of females. And so he wasn't being a jerk or anything, but he said, you know what? And even less of you will make it to chief because you're women. And I was like, that's really hard to hear. Well, I want to be a chief. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> really like, competitive. Why, why don't I just be the one? Yeah. <laughs> and there, I was like, well, I can be I can do it. I could be a chief. Right. And so that, you know, for me was the right. And and that wasn't just it. Right. Because if I had gone to my first base or had multiple assignments that were horrible, at any point, I could have said, you know what? It's a no for me. Like I did my four yeah. years and it's time to go. But that isn't what happened. To be quite honest with you, I felt like being in this whole time that I've been in the Air Force, I have felt like these are my people. Like they understand me. I get mm-hmm. along with them. We have similar values and belief systems. And, you know, we have a common goal. And, you know, I, I just feel like I belong here. And that is what has kept me going. I mean, now, you know, I could have retired now four years ago if I wanted to, but I don't because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. That's and, amazing. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard, you know, if, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Oh, yeah. Never. Yeah. Has there been a single day in the Air Force where I have regretted being in the Air Force? It's amazing. Convoying on the streets of Kabul in Afghanistan. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was like, what did I get myself into? But, you know, in in all, I have always enjoyed the people that I'm with feeling that I'm doing something that's part of something really important and just the team dynamic that we have. And to be quite honest with you, I honestly don't know what I'm going to do someday when I grow up. I I just, I mean, I I love being in the air force and, you know, I, I've, I've, I've loved it the whole time. And so, but I would say that that's why I enlisted and also why I stay. I love that. That's, that's seriously super amazing. Yeah. So you kind of answered, yeah, you kind of answered a deeper question. Yeah, I appreciate how you kept it real and, and say, hey, I enlisted because of this, because I enlisted because of personal reasons as well. Right. Most people do. Right. Some people say hey, it's all patriotism and that's all great. Right. I was just trying to get out of my situation, as I tell my cadets, so I was in the southeast San Diego, south side of Chicago, little, little rough zones around there. So I'm just trying to, you know. I saw that, you know, hey, this is a ticket out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I and I left and I hadn't looked back since. Again, 20 years later, I'm still in two. I'm wrapping up mines. I think. I don't know. We'll see. You know, <laughs> I might forget to hit the button, too. So. But yeah, you answered another question. Why chief master sergeant? Right. And some people were just saying, hey, I'm here to get a trade or whatever the case may be. But you already mentioned it. And I really think it's cool. The fact that you got. Like you like say your your T.I. wasn't trying to be a jerk. He was just laying it out there. But instead of you just saying, you know what, I'm going to cave into it. I'm going to cave into these statistics. You were just like, why don't I just be the one? Yeah. Right. And, and you ended up happening. Like, yeah. that's pretty cool. Right. A lot of a lot of your airmen need to hear that. They need to hear that. Mm-hmm. Oh, if it's just one percent, well, why don't I just be the one percent then and call it good? So I think that's really, really cool. A cool fact to know about your background and how that shaped you as as the chief. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say I agree, too, because one of the reasons why I joined ROTC was the fact that growing up, I had so many people tell me, no, you can't do it. You're a girl. Why Why? Why do you think you could do it? You're not going to be strong enough. Um, and so that's been my driving factor is uh, to, you know, 
be that one that can do it, be the female that can do it. And then furthermore, go off and tell the young girls who are being told they can't do it that hold on, wait a minute. Yeah, you can. You just got to believe in yourself. And the other thing that I would say to that end too, is, is that all along, even in your career, you know, there's going to be naysayers for specific things, right? Like, you know, I remember the first year that I was testing for staff sergeant, you know, people around me were like, Hey, there's no way that like we statistically could make staff this year. So I'm not even going to study. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that every time. Thank you for getting out of my way. Because yeah, literally. <laughs> make make not, it easier for me. More of a straight right. line. I'm, I'm not competing with you because you've already, you know, cut yourself out of Give the equation. You're yourself, not even yeah. giving yourself an opportunity. And, you know, and so that that does happen a lot, right? You'll have people that are like, oh, you know, this isn't going to work out or why are you doing that or, or don't even try, you know? And so I would just say, you know, there's always going to be naysayers, but, you know, just you know, keep pressing forward with what it is that you want to do. And to me, there was no special decoder ring that helped me to become a chief. Honestly, in the beginning of being an airman, it was about being a hard worker, being skilled at my job, trying my hardest to be a valued member of the team. And then once I had an opportunity to lead airmen to do the best that I could to take care of them. And that was what I did like day in and day out. And before I knew it, here we were. And, you know, there's so that, you know, to me is the, the absolute best part to me of of being a chief is, is that all I ever have to worry about for the rest of this career is taking care of Aaron. And that's it. I, I don't have oh to gosh, worry that's, about that's the fun part. That's amazing. Yeah. That's the fun I, part. I don't have to worry about, oh, hey, you need to make sure that you go do this volunteerism event and make sure you do this professional development for yourself and make sure that you. You know, make sure that your EPB looks phenomenal this year. <laughs> there is no E10, you know, and so so now all I ever have to be concerned about is the thing that gives me the most joy. And yeah. that's taking care of airmen. And and that yeah, for me honestly right. started, you know, long before, you know, it was when I was an NCO. But, you know, I had an opportunity to serve as a first sergeant for three years. And that's all your life is, is taking care of people. And so mm-hmm. now I feel like, you know, I, I get to do that. That same thing. Yeah, that's what I strive to do. That's why I literally I, you know, I told the general, like, that's literally why I wanted to be an officer. And granted, you can do that as enlisted. Of course you can. But I wanted to do more and serve more. And I needed a more a higher capacity in order to do it in my mind, in my own personal experience. Right. A tech sergeant can do it. I was a tech sergeant at the time when he interviewed me. But I was like, I need more. I want to have more of an impact. And for my brain to unlock and within myself, I need to have that confidence in myself. I need that bar. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's why our counterparts can do it as well. Of course they can. But I felt that it was my calling to do it that way. So regardless of if you're a chief or a a captain, I feel like the the people are are the customer. Right. Yeah. And if we all agree with that, we're good. I think we'll go far. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to I do want to talk about that. I think we were able to pivot into a right uh, right department here. So. I want to talk about the balance between the enlisted corps and the officer corps, because there is a balance. There is a relationship there. A lot of people would argue a lot of cadets don't even know that there's a balance. There's a relationship. There's a there's there's some things that you do and some things that you don't do. Right. You can do it. But should you right kind of deal if you can. 
be able to kind of explain that balance. So for these cadets, so they know because a lot of the cadets have in more interactions with their officer counterparts than with the NCOs that they also have. Because, you know, nowadays, since Chief Bass has made the instructors NCOs now, which was awesome. I, I really think that was super cool. Now that the cadets are going to get that NCO interface as they should. It makes sense to me. Right. But I don't think the cadets have grabbed the fact that there's a balance. Can you kind of summarize, uh, at least from your perspective, your balance between officers or senior leaders, what your experience has been with it. Yeah. So, so first I'll, I'll preface all of this with saying that, that for myself, I have had an officer raider since 2006. <laughs> uh, you know, once I became a, once I retrained to become a medical technician now for the first time in my life, like I had an officer raider. And that was a first for me. And in fact, when I transitioned from being a supply airman to being medical, it was a huge transition, especially because when I worked in supply, I had very little interaction with officers. Like I would see maybe the the aircraft maintenance unit OIC, like in the morning meeting every once in a while. And if I did something good, like I got to see the squadron commander for a certificate or, you know, an award or something like that. But other than that, Oh, and I would also see the pilots stepping to the aircraft. <laughs> they were off in the distance Yay. on the runway, just step into the aircraft. But beyond that, I didn't really see a lot of officers. And then when I transitioned to working in medical, right, I mean, it's like a 50-50, like it's half officers, half enlisted, right? You've got providers, you have nurses, you have, you know, pharmacists and mental health providers. And, you know, there's a ton of officers in medical. And it was a difficult transition for me because, you know, every time for me, an officer came into the room, I was immediately standing up <laughs> and I'll never forget yeah. my doctor that I worked for. He was like, what are you doing? And I was like, sir, yeah. like you just you just came in the room. And he was like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no like, way. Um, OK, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to show you respect. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and so. Um, you know, I, I think one of the ways that that I can explain, you know, just even the difference, right? Because I, you know, there's there's a difference between the authorities that NCOs have versus the authorities that officers have, right? And and then mm -hmm. sometimes it's difficult too, right? Because I'm sure that a lot of your cadets are hearing these words. When you commission and you get to your first squadron. You need to mm -hmm. find a good NCO or senior NCO and latch on to that person. And they literally are help every day you to be successful. <laughs> and that is 100 percent the truth. It is. I mean, you know, because those NCOs and those senior NCOs, let me tell you, they they know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. And, oh, yeah. so, you know, they're going to be able to provide experiences and to share you know, like, hey, this is what right looks like. But for me, I often go back and think about the difference in our oaths of enlistment or a commissioning. Right. And mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, when you think about that, you know, both officers and enlisted, you know, they swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Right. But in the oath of enlistment, service members swear that they will obey the orders of the president of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over them according to regulations in the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Mm -hmm. However, 
officers do not include that in their oath. Instead, they swear to support and defend the Constitution and well and faithfully discharge the duties of their office. And so at, at the end of the day, your enlisted members can advise officers, even if it's a seasoned chief who has a lieutenant that is working with them. At the end of the day, the person who ultimately makes the decision is that officer. And it's the same thing with a commander. That commander is the person who's on G-series orders. And when they sign their name on the on the line for something, that is their that's their decision. And whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, you have a responsibility to uphold that decision as long as it's not immoral, unethical, or illegal. <laughs> and so as, as an enlisted member, you know, we have a responsibility to help, you know, uh, a lot of my bosses have said, uh, please help me make sure that I don't go to jail, chief. <laughs> yeah, that's the, yeah, I just, just keep me out of jail, please. Right? Keep me out of jail, right? And so, you know, I, I often go back to that, right? And we understand, right? Like there's different AFSCs are going to have different levels of interaction with enlisted. Um, and that's just how it is, right? You know, if you... If you are a cadet who now tomorrow you are a defender, chances are you might have 30 airmen that are under you in flight on day one. However, if you are a pilot, you're going to be in training for several years and you might never even see an airman for when you go to debrief or, you know, something like that. Right. Like or the airmen that help you with your equipment, you're going to see them. But right you might not really have an opportunity to supervise anybody yet. And so right. there's going to be differences in experiences for people there. But, you know, I, I think I think for me, I've always respected the officers that I've worked with. And, you know, I, I always keep in, in my mind that at the end of the day, they are the decision maker. And it's my responsibility to provide them with as much good advice as I can to help them make the decision. And then at the end of the day, whatever that decision is, even if I disagree with it, all right, we are in lockstep going out of this door and no one is ever going to know that you and I had a difference of opinion of the way this should go. Yeah. That's a, I think that's very important, but also like it's, it's sometimes like dang when you're on the inside of that. You know, the other thing too is having the courage to speak up. And sometimes that's hard, right? Like, Mm-hmm. You'll have yeah. people that, yeah, you know, yeah, we were just, just saying that yeah. it's hard because like I mentioned for me, right. There is no E10. There are no more promotions. <laughs> you know, General Cantwell is my raider. Yes. But, you know, some people feel like, well, if I disagree with my boss, he's going to, he or she is going to think that I'm not a good NCO or I'm not a good follower. And, you know, they're not going to push me or recommend me for recommendation or for promotion. And so, you know, one of the things that I talk a lot with our senior NCOs who have opportunities to serve as senior enlisted leader is moral courage of not being a yes man or a yes girl and giving giving it to their commander or their officer or counterpart straight. And it's it's something that you have to learn to do over time. It's not easy. Even now, like within the ROTC core and the cadet core, even our attachment, sometimes like the class, like being in different classes, like, oh, the 400s versus the 300s and all the way down to the 100 and 200s. Like, you know, we kind of get into this way of like, oh, what the 400 say, says go. 
And it's like, well, no, hold on. Like, uh, like being in the POC core, like I'm here too. I'm a 300, but you know, I, I've got different experiences than you. And let me bring a different perspective to you. And, you know, you can continue with what you want to do, but you know, just, I don't think you're thinking about this. And, you know, I think this, your decision might not be the best one and here's why. But again, if you want to continue with it, I'll, I'll support you. Right. And I, I think that's really important to say too, you know, even the the putting in the, you know, like I disagree with, you know, your rationale on this. However, if at the end of the day, this is your decision, mm-hmm. then I'm going to support what you're saying. You know, exactly. another thing too is, you know, I do think what you said is really important because, you know, many times, especially in leadership, and you'll see this when you have an ability to make decisions that impact people's lives. And I know that may sound dramatic, but Especially, you know, once you become a, a, you know, a squadron SEL or a squadron commander and someone does something wrong or they do something bad that you have to hold them accountable for. And you're considering, you know, administrative paperwork or non-judicial punishment or potentially even court martial. You know, what are the second, third and fourth order effects of those decisions mm-hmm. for oh, that yeah. airman? Right. So you have a responsibility to uphold good order and discipline within the unit. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. But you also need to take into consideration, like, what is this going to mean for this airman or this guardian when we go down this path? Right. Like, you don't want to have any surprises later on, like, hey, darn it, we're going to demote this person and that's going to show them. But then now you discover that that now when you demoted them, they are now over their higher tenure limit. And now they actually have to separate from the military. And you're like, oh, wait a second. That wasn't what I was wanting to do. I just, I, I wanted them to be held accountable, <laughs> but I wanted to give them a chance to, to correct the problem and to move on. But now yeah. the person is out. And so you, you have to just be really mindful of those things. And, you know, just looking at the impact of the decisions that are going to be made. Chief, I, I got a question for you. Here's here's a good one, because to me, I think this this question is stemming from the fact that, you know, you know, leaders, future leaders will have little interface with office or uh, enlisted members don't get advice from enlisted members, so they will not seek it. But in your experience, was there as an advisor and as a chief and, and all the things in between, did you have certain experiences in which your leaders did not seek your advice or accept your advice and did their own thing? Uh, if so, how did that affect you? How did that affect you know your enlisted corps? How did that affect the work center if you had that experience? I would have to say, you know, really the only time that, you know, I, I've seen in my career where, where that has happened or where I've experienced that myself, some of it quite honestly had to do with, you know, really more so like officer discipline, right? So there's a difference between officer discipline and enlisted discipline, right? So, you know, as you know, sir, you know, for an officer to receive a letter of reprimand, essentially it's their career is taking a pretty big hit. And yeah, it's almost a death sentence. Mm -hmm. Almost certainly not going to get promoted Again, you know, there's there's a, a, a lot of negatives that come from an officer mm-hmm. receiving an LOR versus yeah, an enlisted bad. airman who receives an LOR. You know, depending on if that LOR is coming with an unfavorable information file, if it isn't, you know, that LOR will go away from that member's mm-hmm. records and no one will be the wiser when the airman PCSs or if the commander decides that he wants to remove that 
letter of reprimand. And mm-hmm. so, you know, uh, and, and then also I think, you know, there's a difference too, when you talk about like how an officer commissions versus how an airman enlists and, you know, I can tell you one of the things or one of the processes that I had the most heartburn with was, and you've been in since 2004, was Mm -hmm. the difference in what would happen when an enlisted airman would fail a PT test multiple times versus Mm -hmm. what would happen to an officer when they Uh, failed a PT test multiple times. It's different. Enlisted airmen that would get demoted and administratively separated from the Air Force. However, I never one time saw that for an officer. Yeah, I never I saw remember that motion and I never saw a, an admin separation. Yeah, you, you no decoration, no nothing. Yep, I remember that. Mm-hmm. That hurt my heart for our airmen because I was like, mm-hmm. wait a second. <laughs> yeah, and, we, we have bad days like we have bad days, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have bad PT days, too. Mm-hmm. I can remember one time, you know, and I, I even remembered asking my commander. I was like, well, sir, you know how. Like, I I get it. I know that this is a big difference, but, you know, have you considered, you know, if if these are all of the things, this is the path that we go down for our enlisted airmen. Like, what is this the path for, you know, officers? And so, you know, I understand. I know that there is a big difference, but I just felt I felt like that disparity was, you know, pretty unfair towards our enlisted airmen versus, you know, what would happen for the officers. But, you know, at the end of the day, I also would say, you know, like, hey, this is whether I agree or disagree with what you're deciding at the end of the day, you are the commander and it's ultimately your decision to make. And, you know, and I, I never lost respect for any of my commanders. I knew that they had hard decisions to make. And, you know, these, these decisions weigh heavy on your heart. You know, when you, when you go to sleep at night, when you're laying there in bed and you have to think about, did I do the right thing by this person? Did I do the right thing by the Air Force? Did I do the right thing by my unit? You know, those are those are heavy thoughts. And it's mm-hmm. it's easy for me to say, this is what I would do, right? Yep. But at the end of the day, I'm not the one who's ultimately responsible for the decision. And so you know, I, I think about that a lot. And I think some of that comes with maturity. You know, over time you recognize, hey, this is this is their this is their decision to make. And all I can do is provide them with all of the information so that they have the clearest sight picture that they can have. And, you know, and just, you know, hope that it turns out well. It is very yeah, it's very important that the cadets understand that, you know, um, at the end of the day, you know, as the, as officers, they, they will make the decisions. But it is it is our job as officers to seek the due diligence and due care in order to get all the information needed. Yeah. And sometimes we don't have that information. Mm-hmm. Your, your chief does, right? Your, your tech sergeant does, right? They have that information. Master sergeant does. They, they have it. They, it's a no brainer for them. Right. And that's based on what I like to call battlefield experience, right? They've been out there forever. They've seen this 50,000 times. They know why this works or doesn't work. They, they have a portal gun. They can get us to <laughs> the, the glory without the battle scars. Because they've seen it. So I feel like it's important for cadets to understand that balance. Yes, there's the rank, but then there's the experience. So you you have the rank, but they have the experience. So if you're able to combine that, you will get to most likely get to the answer that you need that will satisfy the situation at hand. And I, I think another part of it, and again, the general mentioned it, you mentioned it, cadet general mentioned it, right? It's just having the courage to say what's, what's on your mind. Regardless of if it's going to be, you know, accepted or absorbed or whatever the case may be, 
you still have to say, you know, sir, ma'am, this this I understand where you're trying to get at. But here's some things that will come up as a result of this decision. Right. Mm-hmm, right. Or, or, or this concept. Here, here's some second and third and fourth effects. Do we want that? Do we do we want to risk that? Do we oh, want to right. be looked at that way? If, it, if the answer is yes. And it's legal, ethical, moral, safe, effective and all that cool stuff. Then fine, we're rolling. Mm-hmm. Right. But we just I just want you to be aware of the situation that's coming through. And I think that ROTC, we, at least here at DEFOR, we can do a better job with, uh, again, that that rift between the AS levels. Right. Yeah. We, we are under the impression that the 400s and the 800s and 700s, they run the whole thing. They've been POC forever. However, comma, there's a new generation. We as enlisted members, I say that because in my heart, I, I still it's still there <laughs> where they say, hey, who is going to come up with the newest and greatest ways to fight tomorrow's wars? It's not going to be General So-and-so. It's going to be A1C Snuffy, right? They're the one, like nobody fights wars like this anymore. I can just type this in and bam, right? Yeah. Their whole system's disabled. Why are we blowing this thing up? It doesn't make sense. So what I'm saying <laughs> is in ROTC, translating that into ROTC, it's like, okay, those new 300s who are just 200s, they have a new way of fighting the war yeah. right and we we've we've got to do a better job to make sure that our super upperclassmen are seeking their consultation and not just at the bottom of the triangle and they, their ideas and advice snuffed yeah. and i think that will prepare them for seeking the advice of our enlisted counterparts more because mm-hmm. they've been trained to seek the information and not just you know, hang around. And I think just advice for other people too, that, that I've kind of picked up along the way when you, when you are doing those things, as long as you deliver your question or you deliver your advice, uh, against or for the decision with tact and you're respectful and you're not attacking their character coming from my experience. Cause I've gone to captain sledge and I've been like, sir, like this idea that I, I'm all for it, but like, here are some reasons why I'm against it. When I delivered it with tact and respect and, you know, doing all the things I, I was heard and I got seen and, you know, he understood me and they'll probably take it and internalize it and use it in their decision with whatever decision they end up making. And Chief Master Sergeant, if you have anything to add on that or Captain Sledge, like if you have any advice to that or want to add on that. And I think that's what like ROTC cadets need to learn is not to be afraid as long as they deliver it with tact, they're not going to get reprimanded. I absolutely agree with you. And and it's so funny that you said like, hey, you know, the, you know, Captain Sled, what you said in terms of, you know, that the that there's going to be a new way that we fight wars that we haven't done traditionally. And and so I can tell you I that General Cantwell and I say these words. We no longer have great innovative ideas. <laughs> right? We are set in our ways. We've got a lot of things going on. And we probably, with everything that's happening, we we might not have all of the time, you know, to be able to to come up with these, hey, do you know what would really make field training awesome, right? Like we don't have those really things anymore, but the people who do are the people that are at the ground level. And, and so I tell people all the time, feel empowered to speak up, speak up respectfully and, you know, get get your ideas out there. Like sometimes like, you know, have someone ask why like five times and they may say no five times. But, you know, General Brown says like the first time that they say no, it might be hell no. (laughs) The second time it'll be like, 
it's still a no. Uh, the third time it might be, um, it's no, but tell me more. And then the next mm-hmm. time it might be no, but let's come back to that because I like what you're thinking about. Maybe we can't do it right now, but I can see how that might work for the future. Yeah, I think and that's really important. So, you know, I, I think, you know, that it's really important for people to feel like they can speak up and, but you're right, you know, do it respectfully, um, you know, and, and, and have things to support your, your idea, right? You know, mm-hmm. so many times you'll hear people say, well, this sucks. We shouldn't have to do this. Okay. Well, give me a better idea. If, if you don't want to do this, then what can we do instead? Yeah. Right. Like, don't just come Absolutely. with problems, come with a solution too. But yeah, I, I, I think that that's going to be something like extremely important for the, the cadets to know and, um, and, and to understand. Um, and, and I know it, you guys probably hear it all of the time too. The cadets, I'm sure you probably hear things or if you ask the question of why do we do this this way? Well, that's because that's the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. For some things, okay, cool. For other things, but why though? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, and so, you know, we, we we want our airmen to feel empowered, our airmen and our guardians to feel empowered to ask why. To absolutely ask why. Yeah. And I think uh, furthermore on that too, like we need to have the officers that are you know, are comfortable with being asked, well, why are we doing it this way? And then when they say like, oh, because we've been doing it this way, we need officers that are okay with people uh, are enlisted and even even younger officers and even, you know, the younger cadets uh, with uh, compared to uh, the older cadets, like they need to be comfortable when they ask, well, like, why was this implemented? Can we change it? Does it have to be this way? And I think like I think a good officer is okay and comfortable getting asked that question and then, you know, analyzing, oh, wow, we really have just been doing it this way. Like, how could we make this better? Absolutely. So, Chief, with with that, I definitely felt like we made a lot of lot of money here today when it comes to advising. So I want to leave it on a very positive, very good note. So what is the one thing that you would want the whole entire cadet enterprise to know? When it comes to seeking advice from their enlisted counterparts in the future uh, when they become leaders. So I would like to take this to a twofold thing. Number one, absolutely seek the advice of the enlisted folks that are around you, especially like if you're new coming into a section, they're going to have invaluable information that is going to help you be successful. And oh, by the way, so are the airmen. You know, if you you know, sometimes you'll have like really sharp, like A1Cs and senior airmen that are, you know, highly educated, that are, you know, very bright and want to be in, you know, like I mentioned before, an invaluable member of the team. And so don't feel embarrassed. Don't ever feel like, oh, I sh- I'm an officer. I should know everything. I should be the all-knowing oracle. And the enlisted aren't going to tell me anything. That's not going to be the truth, right? They're going to have a lot of knowledge that's going to help you be successful. But on the other flip side of that is what I would also say is, is that when you lead those airmen, what I need you to do more than anything else is to care. Care about the people that you're responsible to lead. Absolutely. They recognize that they are not just a person who's turning a wrench on an aircraft or putting a needle in an arm or checking an ID at the front gate or, you know, clearing off some ice off of the flight line, whatever it is, right? That's, that is what they do in their AFSC, but that isn't who they are as a person. Like get to know them. Learn about their family. What are their hobbies? What are their goals? And remember them and talk to them about those things. 
and see them as a human being. And if you do that, if you care about your folks and if you take good care of them and help them through their struggles and help them find the answers to the questions that they come to you with, I promise you, because I'm one of those airmen, if I feel like you value me and you care about me, and most of our airmen will, they will go to the ends of the earth for you to do whatever it is that you're asking of them. Absolutely. Just realize how important that that responsibility that you have is. And also don't view it as an inconvenience. You know, that's a the absolute best opportunity that you will have is is to serve as a leader of airmen. And it's a it's almost a high, you know, when you see your airmen succeed. I can tell you two no, this last Friday we had OTS graduation and two airmen that I served as their chief. They were one was a staff sergeant, one was a tech sergeant. They both commissioned on Friday. They're now both first lieutenants and they're both physician assistants. Oh it's awesome. Is the pride of my career is seeing the people that I've had an opportunity to lead succeed. And when they reach out to you, you know, when you've moved on to the next base, but they know that you're at this base and they reach out to you and say, can you come to my first sergeant graduation? Can you come to my commissioning ceremony? Can you do this? Hey, I'm in town or PME, can we get together for dinner? That's when you know that you've made a great impact on someone. And there's no feeling that's better than that. And so that's awesome. When you have that's gonna make me tear up. When you when it makes me tear up too. (laughs) (laughs) When you have that opportunity, you know, you know, you have a mission to do. The mission is so important, but that mission is not going to happen without your people. And so just just care about them and show them well and show them often. And they'll they'll do everything. They'll bend over backwards to do whatever it is that you need to do to make the mission succeed. And I would say that that's the key to success, or at least it has been for me. Well said, Chief. That I wouldn't put it any other way. That's literally what I do every single day. I spend countless hours, and as well as the, all the other instructors, ROTC, they know what the business is. They they know what we're getting into. Uh, those long hours, those late, those early mornings, those late nights, and, and we understand more than anything else. It's about the people because we know that those lieutenants are going to be responsible for those stripes, right? And we want them to be caring amongst all things care give a dog on absolutely so and the rest will take care of itself the rest will take care of itself so they will do it because they know that you care about them and they understand they'll get behind that banner they will go on that hill and they will do the thing right no problem but you just got to show them you care and and i appreciate that chief that was a well-said message and i'll make sure that the cadets and the entire enterprise get that message because that's very important absolutely all right so with that being said we are out of time but again, no, we want to thank you. Uh, it's, oh, it's whatever. No, no it, problem. It's whatever. Well, we don't care. We'll always so, have time for you, man. Yeah. Just come on through to Vegas. Come on debt for land and then we'll pick you up. It's all good. Absolutely. Uh, but though, for those again who are who are just listening in, which are probably late, we have been talking to Chief McKean, the home center command chief master. Man, thank you for, for hanging out with us. And chilling with us. Spreading your wisdom as yeah, well. Giving us your wisdom and everything else like that. We we look forward to seeing you in other instances where you can mentor us about some other things that go into the daily life of a chief. We really appreciate you, ma'am. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. And we'll look forward to getting out to see you guys. Copy that. See you later, ma'am. Thank All you. Right.
thank you for joining us for this episode of Keys to Military Success with Team Red Alert, advised by Christian Sledge. Christian Sledge is a prior enlisted officer of the United States Air Force with over 20 years of military experience. Team Red Alert was assembled by the members of the Afrotsi Detachment 4 at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas in 2023. This team has answered the call for the need for military leadership, knowledge, and enlightenment, and is dedicated to providing you with the keys to military success. Remember, as you embark on your own journey to success, lead with a kind heart, have respect, care for others, and the mission will take care of itself. With the keys to military success in hand, the possibilities are endless.